All right, are you ready? Yes. All right, in <clears throat> three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. What's up, Lex? You just lost your job. You ain't got shit to do. We're going to do a podcast today. I'm going to get you casted, son. This is Missing Out, and I am your host, Tari. Oh, you're not supposed to know that. That's a secret. My I'm your host, Tari J. <laughs> My life will never be the same. It's true. Oh, this is like learning that the F and F Gary Gray stands for Felix. Um, maybe he doesn't want people to know. All right, we can cut that part out. I'm Lex <laughs> Michael. I'm I'm social media, right? That's the this is the time to drop that in. Yeah, I'm all over social media at the Lex Michael. My mind is, my mind is, if not blown, certainly stimulated. Ooh, by this revelation. That's what I'm all about. It's revelatory stimulations. Yes. Uh, as you may have guessed, if you've seen the movie, uh, we're doing Friday. Uh, we've probably also tweeted it out, so you probably know that we're doing that episode because of that as well. Yes, tweets. Uh, <laughs> uh, and speaking of tweets, make sure that you follow our Twitter at Missing Outcast. That's uh, Missing Outcast at Twitter.com. Dot com at Twitter. Missing Outcast. Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. So today on Missing Out, we are covering Friday. Uh, I'm going to do my best to do uh, a sweet rundown of what Friday is. Friday is a movie directed by F. Gary Gray, uh, who also did great things such as Set It Off, uh, Fast 8, The Italian Job. Uh, He did Straight Outta Compton, which is most likely where he got connected with Ice Cube. Uh, This is written by Ice Cube and DJ Pooh, who plays Red in the movie, who was originally slated to play uh, Smokey, but then the studio decided to get Chris Tucker in there, which I think was to their benefit. Uh, And it's starring Ice Cube as well, starring Chris Tucker, Nia Long, uh, Tiny Lister, uh, also known as Tommy Lister, and John... Uh, Wither... Witherspoon. Witherspoon. I uh, I saw Tiny Lister at the ArcLight once. Oh, nice. He's uh, is he tiny? He's a pretty tall guy. It's Ooh. one of those ironic nicknames for sure. Ah, got it. Like when you 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 call a a, a big guy smally small smalls <laughs> like smalls. You call him the, smalls. The example that's exactly like the example. Of <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um. <laughs> oh, or like how Biggie Smalls is Biggie Smalls. Anyway, not important. None of those things are important. I'm also um, I'm also stuck on uh, Furious Eight. Yeah, Fate of the Furious. Tari J, please, come on. <laughs> at least go. At least go fast. Eight. What? What? F eight. Fate. It's fate. F- fate of the Furious. <laughs> fate. This is the whole show. Yeah. Uh, so, um, which I. It, after going back through his slate of content, I realized that he made so many things that I, as a kid, was very, like, I, I don't know, I guess influenced by and, like, consumed a lot growing up. Like, Set It Off was another movie that I had suggested to you, yes, which I didn't definitely- realize he had directed. Um, he did, also did The Negotiator, which was my mom's favorite movie. Really? Um, he did a lot of music videos. So he did the uh, he did TLC's music videos. He did for, he did uh, Waterfalls, Outcast. I believe. Yes, he did. He won awards for that that music video, um, which was a, a track 
and an album that we in my household were very big fans of. Waterfalls was amazing. I uh, uh, can't pretend to be an expert on TLC, and I definitely I don't think I've heard that entire album at any point. But there were a couple of years there where I think no matter what house you lived in, that that track was ubiquitous. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he also did uh, he also did a man apart, which was uh, I believe the first time he worked with Vin Diesel, mm -hmm. who is now a big producer on the. Fast and the Furious series with a whole bunch of clout makes a lot of sense then that he would be a guy that Vin Diesel, if they had a good working relationship, would vouch for. And then, of course, uh, coming off of the big success of Straight Outta Compton, I'm sure that the studio was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Let's get, let's get, F, let's get old F. Gary. <laughs> um, so he's done a lot of really good stuff. Um, he also did, he did Be Cool, the Get Shorty sequel, which to me, is probably most noteworthy for being a fairly early performance on screen, a film performance, non-wrestling film performance from Dwayne Johnson. Oh, really? Uh, shortly after, I mean, it's not uh, not too many years after he was the Scorpion King, mm -hmm. I think, he played this role. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this movie is a magnum opus and it's one of the greatest movies of the last century. But his performance in it is a lot of fun. So then it's cool to see them come back and work together again on the movie where the cars chase the submarines and vice versa. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like a, there are a lot of people in this movie that worked on this movie that have gone off and done like a lot of really cool stuff. Um, we This was Michael, Dark, Michael Clark Duncan's first on-screen role. That, that scene where Debo knocks the one dude out. He's yeah. just there, sitting by the bike. He doesn't... I don't even think he has a line. No, does he, he doesn't say anything. No, he, like, and he's, laughs, maybe. He's but really that's only it. in a quick shot or two. But I was like, that's that's Michael Clark Duncan. And yeah. then he's he's gone. Mm-hmm. This is also the first uh, on-screen role for Megan Good, who was just... A, she was just the girl who was like, I want ice cream. Why yep. can't I get ice cream? Um... And we also had a large slate of com comedians in it. We had Bernie Mac. We had... Um, uh, Tony Cox. Yeah, Tony Cox. From Bad Santa. Yes. And, like, I'm glad it's a, it's a shame that it seems to have taken uh, however, however many years it was. Bad Santa was, what, 03, maybe? Uh, yes. Uh, like it's a shame that it took so many years for me to catch Tony Cox in a in a supporting role that was meaty enough and gave him an opportunity to really perform, like be a character. Because like as hilarious as he is in this movie, the joke does seem to be a little bit, look how much havoc is being wreaked by this little person. And there's not, there's not to me, there's not a whole lot of he doesn't get to do a whole lot. He gets to run around. He gets to throw the clothes. He gets right. to he gets to make a scene, and it is very funny. He's a very adept physical performer. Yeah. But I loved getting to see many many years later him go toe to toe with Billy Bob Thornton and be consistently hilarious, and also get to play some dramatic scenes as well. Like, dude's a very very good actor. Mm -hmm. In my in a way, I feel like it was progressive. It was like they weren't being like, look at this tiny guy go, because like he was just a dude. Right. I, I felt like. Yes. Oh, we also, also Nia Long, who uh, went on to do a lot of uh, cool movies. She was also in um, Fresh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air as That's a regular right. love interest. Yes, yes, um, yes. Also, she's a fox. She's so she's so pretty. She's the prettiest. Um, even now and even then, the prettiest. Hashtag pretty Nia Long. Hashtag Nia Longing hashtag, for you. Hashtag pot. P o a t. Prettiest of oh. all time. Yeah, pot. Hashtag pot. <laughs> I want some poached <laughs> eggs? Nope. All right. I'm, I, I tried. I, I, you can't blame me for trying. No. 
Um, so with friend, uh, this is the part where we we talk about what it's like to to see something with fresh eyes. And so after a long time, uh, I haven't seen this movie in I want to say at least like five years. Uh, I had seen it as a kid probably about 50 times. It was a very big staple that my sisters and I would watch, my friends and I would watch, and we'd quote. It was a very quotable movie. There were a lot of, uh, like, a lot of fun lines from the Smokey character, which, uh, from doing a little research, I found that Chris Tucker essentially uh, improvised a lot of his lines. So, like, a lot of the things that were memorable about the movie came from him just, like, dicking around. Yeah, I've heard that on this set there were a number of times where a, a big portion of the crew had to either step back or walk away completely because he was making them laugh too hard. Mm-hmm. Which I buy. I mean, the whole movie has a very loose feel to it. Yeah. And I buy that a lot of this stuff, it feels so authentic. And I believe some of it was scripted. I'm sure anything that advances the joke of the scene or the big, the big, uh, the moment that we're building to or anything that advances the plot obviously is scripted, but within that there is such a loose conversational feel and it really does feel like a couple of buddies just hanging out, shooting the shit with each other. Yeah. I totally buy that a, a large, large swaths of that dialogue just came out of his brain in the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I I think that like when I was just watching it, I accepted it. I accepted that they were just friends narratively, but like now watching it, it, they really feel like buddies. They really feel like two dudes who hang out all the time. And this is just like a day in their life. Yes. Um, and I liked how small the, the scale was, but like at the same time there were high stakes because they, their lives were literally on the line. Yeah. Over, over $200, which I still think is, a little bit hilarious like especially because now it's like we're so inundated with most most fiction now when say somebody owes a drug dealer money yeah. and their lives are literally at risk it's like well it's a large it's a large sum we're talking like fifty thousand dollars and people are coming after me right but it's like 200 bucks it would make no sense really for a, a drug dealer to kill somebody over 200 dollars because you you just you'd bring a police presence and a whole bunch of attention and it's just it's not worth it for 200 bucks but i also love whether or not big worm was ever truly going i mean he has got a gun it's a van full of guns right, right. so he's trying to but also even if you remove that aspect completely i would still buy that these kids would take at face value that this guy is coming to kill them over 200 dollars mhm i mean that's the that's that's how it works in the streets uh, also, well, it was the, the principle of it. Like you can't be, you can't be big worm and have someone disrespect you. Right. You know, uh, essentially smoking all your product and tr get away with it, not make the money back. Like, how is that going to look to your other subordinates who all, are also selling? Like now watching it and having seen a portion of the wire, like it, uh, yes, absolutely it more about, well. more about making a statement than it is about any specific sum of money. Right. Um, so, I mean, what did you think, uh, this being your first viewing, I know you said that you had seen Friday after next or I next saw, Friday. I, not the entire movie. I remember seeing maybe the first hour of Friday after next on HBO, mm -hmm. I mean, a decade ago, maybe. And I remember the opening, right? Where, uh, like Mike Epps is passed out cold and somebody breaks into their apartment and Ice Cube has to fight them off, but they still steal their rent and all of their Christmas presents. Yeah. That's pretty much all I remember about that movie. I mean, that's all you really need to remember. 
but I, so I had never seen the original Friday before. I was obviously, you know, you, you hear it come up in a number of conversations about the, the greatest comedies of the past, however many years it was, 95. That's a long time ago. Yep. Yeah, he says 20, 22-year-old movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, time, man. <laughs> time. Um, yeah, I, I had never seen it, and I was struck by a few things. I was struck by, A, how much it does feel more than almost any movie I can think of, certainly that I can think of immediately in this moment. It really does feel like if you started your day early enough, being back in say high school, uh, even early high school, it really does feel like you got up, you went to your friend's house, and the two of you just hung out all day. Like it feels exactly like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really, really, really cool. Uh, I thought the production aspects of the movie were really interesting. And I don't necessarily mean the technical presentation of it, but I mean the story of uh, how all of these people ended up working together on this project. This was not Ice Cube's first movie. Uh, Boys in the Hood was his first movie, right. if I'm not mistaken. And I believe, uh, as the story goes, it was director John Singleton who encouraged Ice Cube to write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, the screenplay for Friday was the third he wrote. I think the first couple he tried uh, just ended up underdeveloped, didn't really go anywhere. But he ended up finishing the script for Friday, uh, co-written with uh, DJ Pooh. Yeah. And... Then he brought it to F. Gary Gray himself because he wrote it. He was going to produce it. The intent was that he was going to star in it. And I believe F. Gary Gray was a music video director primarily at that time. I think he'd maybe worked with Ice Cube a couple of times on different video shoots. Yeah. And he was planning on doing some short subject stuff. Like he was trying to get together some funding to launch production on a short film. And Ice Cube basically said, yeah, you could do that. Or uh, here's a script that I wrote for a movie called Friday. Maybe you could do this instead. And that's, I guess, how that collaboration was born, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, And F. Gary Gray, like, really put himself into the script. Like, everything that was shot was on his, uh, the the street that he grew up on. All of the house set set pieces were uh, the houses of friends of his that lived on that block. Um, And even the scene where the, where Red, who's DJ Pooh, gets knocked out that's in front of his old house um huh. yeah so like he basically took this project and he re- it resonated with him so much that like it was basically like his childhood it was and he saw it he he saw himself in it so he put it set it where he grew up that that and it feels it really does feel now i'm not gonna sit here and suggest for a second that I know what his life experience was growing up in his neighborhood. I I can't, I'm not the barometer for how authentic a depiction it is. Right. But to me, a, a, an outsider to that specific experience, Mm -hmm. it feels, it does feel authentic. Even when at times the movie feels very much like a Saturday morning cartoon version of that experience, I completely buy this world. This yeah. does feel like, you know, we we live in Los Angeles. This does feel like somewhere where if we drive about 20, 30 minutes, we we could go walk around. Like, I completely buy the reality of this place. It feels like a real neighborhood full of real people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I liked the community aspect that, like, they were able to build just within the, the movie. Like, everyone knows each other. Uh, everyone, when we get to the climax, everyone comes out and is... is 
is worried about like where Craig is and and what's happening in the neighborhood. It it also feels so happenstance. Like drive-bys happen all the time that everyone's just like, all right, we're checking in. Everyone's alive. Great. We're going to go back to what we were doing, which I thought was a really interesting aspect of it too, because, because it is just this like day in the life of these two people. You imagine that this kind of thing happens all the time, maybe not directly to these people, but like, within this the realm of this neighborhood this is just a, a common friday yeah and i like too that ice cube talked about I, I i believe at the time talked about part of his intention with writing the screenplay was he had seen depictions of life in these neighborhoods and a lot of them were stories like for example boys in the hood which is largely about some of the dangers of living in these neighborhoods and, the, and, and getting involved in some of these uh, criminal lifestyles and how dark it can be and how punishing it can be. And he mm-hmm. said, yes, that does exist. There is truth in that. But that's not all it was. Like when we were growing up in our neighborhood, like we had a really good time there. We had a lot of fun too. Yeah. So my hope was uh, to be able to depict that side of it as well because that side of it was just as real certainly for, for me, me being ice cube yes uh as the rest of this as well but what i thought was also really noteworthy about the movie is as over the top and straight up cartoony as it feels at times there are moments in the movie where things get super real oh yeah and i have to applaud uh, both f gary gray's direction and also ice cubes and dj Pooh's script because that's that can be a very hard balance to strike mm-hmm. because you need it's it's ostensibly a comedy so you need to keep the humor coming but if you're going to try and introduce these very heavy dramatic concepts and story elements, you have to walk those jokes right up to that precipice without undercutting the drama. And I feel like they managed to do that in a big way multiple times throughout the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a really interesting storytelling aspect in that there there are essentially two villain type characters we have big worm who is the main plot driving force but at the same time like the the main obstacle that everyone has to overcome is debo so all right debo played by tiny lister yes years and years and years before i ever saw friday when i was growing up in south florida you would get you know i i uh at my high school right you'd hear it constantly and i'd hear it from from white kids they would jokingly, they wouldn't actually come up and take your belongings, yeah. but they would come up to you and they might like grab something of yours jokingly. They'd be like, ha, Debo. Or like they might jump and take your seat if you wanted your seat and you got up for a second and yeah. they would say Debo. And I didn't understand. I understood what they meant. I was like, oh, clearly this is a term that denotes you just got your shit stolen. Right. But I did not know, much like by Felicia, I did not know the origin of this phrase until literally yesterday. Yeah. I didn't realize that that was a Friday reference, that all of these, and not for nothing, mm-hmm. a lot of white kids that I would bet real money had never seen Friday either, yeah. still pulled in the reference and used it as part of their own vernacular, which I thought was, I think now in hindsight is is fascinating. <laughs> um, I mean, yes, because like he, he, it was featured in the in the advertisements and things like that. And, it, and it's uh, even amongst like, no matter what neighborhood you have in, 
no matter what neighborhood you live in, um, there's always that bully who wants to take your things just for the sake of taking it, just for the sake of feeling powerful. And like, and like that's Debo doesn't really seem to have much of an agenda at all beyond being and feeling and acting bigger and badder than everybody else. Right. And the way he exerts his power is just, I'm going to roll up, I'm going to take whatever. You, I love it. It's like, I don't even want anything specific. He just keeps a couple of times in the movie, Craig and Smokey are sitting on the porch and they know, they see him coming. It's like, all right, the watch the the chain whatever mm-hmm. it is like the money even the weed sometimes we got to hide it all because Debo will take anything yeah he's not he's got no specific agenda he's not looking for gold specifically he's not even specifically looking for cash he just wants to take whatever you have on you because he can yeah there's that moment when he uh he just comes up to them and says yo what you got on my 40 like he wants to buy beer but like he doesn't want to pay for it himself. He, he this is after the point where he's already gotten two hundred dollars, and he's like, no, he wants to use their money because yeah, he specifically he says, oh, yeah. I want to spend your money. Uh, uh and I, I feel like that's a super relatable thing, especially if you've been if you've been bullied or if you are a bully, um, which I've, I'm sure I've been both at some point. Um, like you get it. Yes. Also the visual of him riding around on that bike which is clearly too small for him <laughs> that he most definitely stole is hilarious yeah um <laughs> i uh i really i, I want to talk about the relationship between craig and his dad yeah yeah but before i do i'd really like to talk about our wonderful sponsor big worms ice cream trucks You want some ice cream? You want some hot Cheetos? You want some Doritos? Well, fuck you, fat boy. Mm, Big Worms Ice Cream Trucks. Yep, that's our sponsor for this week, Big Worm. Sending that perm out one curl at a time. Big Worm. Yep. (laughs) 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 Uh, Great. Um, so we get this really, like, uh, jumping back on the train of the relationship between Craig and his dad. Yes. Um, I really, really liked this father-son relationship. I don't remember how old Craig is supposed to be in this movie. I got the vibe. I don't, I just watched it. Uh, and I don't have a specific answer for you either. I got the vibe that he was meant to be at the oldest early 20s. Yeah. Um, I would assume so because they can they can buy alcohol. Uh, he he states that he his whole thing is drinking and not smoking. Um, his his younger sister is in school. They don't really state if it is college or if it's high school, but you assume like it's somewhere in that range. She seems older. He feels older uh, to where he's not in school anymore. He has a regular job or had a regular job and old enough too that like he's still living at home. And his his dad makes the comment about you know rent is due. So like yeah. he's old, it's old enough that it is acceptable now for the parents to charge you rent if you're still living at home. Right. You, I feel like you don't do that if the kid's 16. No. I also don't feel like Ice Cube, even even back in 95, could convincingly portray 16, though I would watch that movie had they made it. <laughs> he's like, I have problems in school. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna get my driver's license. Today was a good day. Anyways. Uh, yeah. Um, I, so there... Relationship is really interesting to me, mostly because at the beginning, uh, John Witherspoon's character is just kind of a, a bumbly, fumbly, like pooping guy. 
Um, bumbly, fumbly pooping guy. That's actually maybe the most apt possible description. Yeah. And but like at a certain point, you realize that he he really cares about his his son, and he also cares about what happens in his neighborhood. You know, he he kind of offhandedly mentions that Craig's uncle, which you assume is his brother, was killed at 22, and the the better way of going about solving your problems isn't with a gun, but with your fists. You know, you you can't be afraid to take take a whooping. And you got to be willing to get back up. Yeah, I did. I really like this relationship a lot. And this relationship, it did, like much of the movie, felt very authentic. Because in a, in a movie where, like, okay, in a movie where you know at some point the parent character is going to have to impart a very significant message to the, the child character, mm-hmm. it would be very easy to r- ride... Like, as you build to that moment, to ride one train all the way to that moment in terms of characterization. Yeah. But, of course, you see that he is so—Willie is so not that guy for so much of the movie. And I love, too, this This is consistent, I think, across just about every character, even some of the more villainous ones in the, in the picture— all of these characters genuinely seem to contain multitudes. Like, mm-hmm. there are—I they are, I don't think there's a single—well, maybe the guy who uh, whose name now escapes me. Ezel? Ezel, who yeah. just keeps trying to steal stuff to feed his habit. He's—but even he, it's like, I bet if we just scratched a little bit, there's a lot, a lot, a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like everybody is, is drawn with so many different— Shade. So, like, yeah, like he's the same the same guy who earlier in the movie has his son come stand in the bathroom and smell his poop while he talks to him. As like, what a, by the way, fascinating and disturbing power move that is. Yeah. Uh, the same guy later in the movie can can have this very heartfelt moment where he connects with his son as a father. You can tell like he's experienced loss as well, and there's finally this moment where. He he stops being the, as you say, the, the the goofy, whatever pooping guy. Yes, and he genuinely becomes he becomes like you say a father concerned about his son, and he lost his brother when his brother was just a kid. He doesn't want to see the same thing happen because also, it seems like he's lived in this neighborhood for quite some time, and I'm sure he's seen these same needless cycles of violence repeat themselves over and over and over. Mm-hmm. So that I thought was a great a great moment, and again, like I was saying before. It almost does feel like, as a story element, almost like it gets introduced out of nowhere, but but not. It does- doesn't. I uh, even as you were speaking, I was thinking about when the like groundwork for that was being laid, and it was it was in that pooping scene where he he's trying to encourage Craig to keep uh, to keep looking for jobs and things like that. Like he has uh, an application so that they can work together so that he can uh, essentially keep moving forward because he sees Craig is kind of stagnant, you know? And so like that piece is the same thing as it's the same message as uh, he was talking about with his fists. Like you get knocked down, you get back up, you lost your job, get a new job, keep going. That's true. That makes sense. It's actually, that's actually a really excellent through line. Yeah. But yeah, it's great that it's great that we get both from this character. We get we get the poop and we also get the heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get that sweet sweet poop heart. Poop heart. Mhm. Mm. All of the poop parts. Today we're sponsored by Poop Heart. Poop hearts. It's the poop but it's in the shape of a heart. Poop hearts. All year for all your mini poop hearts. Yikes. Yep. 
Um, so <laughs> anyway, I mean, we haven't really talked much at all about Chris Tucker in this movie. Yeah, was he in this? He was. He sure was. Oh, okay. He was the uh, the one that wasn't Ice Cube. Ooh, yeah. got it. He was the okay. one that was always high. Oh. Did he... I feel like he may have had a name that kind of implied that that was his character. In what was it? Uh, 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 bongers? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was... Uh, it was uh, uh, jointsman? Mist, mist, mist-like? Uh, uh, Captain Reefer Face. <laughs> Yes, it was definitely Captain Reefer Face. <laughs> um, yeah, before becoming a drug dealer or drug seller, he uh, served in the military and became a captain of the guard. Uh, and his last name, Smokey Reaper Face. Smokey That's what it was. Smoker Reaper, Reaper, Reaper That's face. true. We never, we don't learn. Do we learn Smokey's last Not name at, at any all. point in this movie? So it's just Smokey. I'm, my headcanon is Smokey Reaper Face. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was not Chris Tucker's first film credit either before this uh he showed up in 1993's the meteor man and 1994's house party three yeah but this was certainly his breakthrough role mm-hmm. um i was i think as the story goes wasn't dj Pooh originally maybe going to play yes smoky um but then the studio because uh chris tucker had a a booming one could say stand-up career before he started working in movies. And I think that's where they, I think Ice Cube and DJ Pooh saw him on Def Comedy Jam. Right. And so uh, it was kind of a compromise between Ice Cube and the studio because the studio wanted a bigger name for uh, for Smokey and because Denzel Washington DJ Pooh. has <laughs> Smokey Reefer face. I would watch that movie where he's like, my man, I'm going to get you high. Isn't that Training Day? I don't know. It was before, <laughs> you know, that's how we get there. He's like, mm, get you hot. I'm, I'm not a good uh, Denzel Washington impersonator, um, <laughs> but imagine it. Imagine all the words I'm saying, but in Denzel's voice. So, okay, okay, okay. Um, and then, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but uh, okay, so they were they were able to get Chris Tucker in the door after they saw him on Def Comedy Jam. They really liked him. They were like, okay, we we. Think we want to give this guy a shot. Yeah. And as the story goes, apparently his first audition went horribly. Interesting. But they were so, I guess, so taken with his overall persona that they essentially said, all right, maybe not that one, but go prepare a little bit more, come back, try for us again. Yeah. And that's how we got Smokey. Yeah. Uh, I had also read that... uh, Chris Rock was also considered. Yes, I heard that too. Yeah. Um, which, so I I wish uh, we had the ability to jump between the multiverse so I could see these other versions. Like, I can't imagine a better version of Friday, but I imagine that with these other castings, they would have been different, but just as interesting. For sure. And I, I agree. Like, I'm, I just keyed into what you said. Like, I cannot imagine a better version of Friday Either. It does feel like, and I don't mean this as a diss in the slightest, it does feel like the work of uh, a first-time filmmaker. Right. But an impressive work from a first-time filmmaker. And it, you could do it again. You could do it, make, you could make it look a little more slick. You could make it look more polished. You could put TIE fighters in the background of every shot. But, like, that wouldn't make it better. I right. feel like, if anything, by polishing it up, you would lose a lot of what I really loved about it, which was this feeling of, oh, this is just, this is not even a movie. This is just some buddies hanging out. Right. 
it's like the you could say it's like the clerks of the streets. A, a little bit, actually. Yeah. yeah, it is It is not entirely dissimilar. Mm-hmm. And also, when I say that it doesn't even feel like a movie, it feels like friends hanging out. Yes, it also feels like a movie, <laughs> a good movie. Again, I mean that in the most respectful uh, way possible. I, I truly admire what these guys would never really... And again, most of them had been on sets before. But this team coming together to make their movie in a way that I don't think very many of them had had an opportunity to do before. I think the fact that they came up with something that feels so genuine genuine and yeah. fresh and like even it's a it's a movie from uh, 20 plus years ago and it still feels fresh to me. Yeah. Which also then then I take a step back and I go, well, maybe it feels so fresh because we haven't gotten too many movies like this since then, which yeah. is which is so well, I guess off. uh it's I feel like there are a number of movies like this. They're just not mainstream. Well, I mean, I I can come up with a a couple of titles off the top of my head that I think are maybe made with similar intentions. But the ones that I can think of, for for my personal taste, I think trapes a little too far over the line into cartoon territory. Yeah. Whereas I think Friday struck a really excellent balance between being, like I said, the Saturday morning cartoon version of a story like this and also a very real, relatable, grounded version of the story as well. Mm-hmm. Like the the first one that popped into my head, other movies that remind me of a Friday type movie. First one I thought of was How High with Method Man and Red Man. Uh, and that's yeah. and that's no and again, no disrespect at all. Right, right. It, it's a it's a cartoon from what I remember. Now yes. I say that having not seen it in a very long time, but I remember it being largely a cartoon without any of the reality to balance it out. Yes, I mean yes, because a lot of the characters were very over the top. You even, if I remember correctly, of the movie, there was a, that was the one where they would smoke their friend and he would help them with uh, with with answers, uh, cheat in college basically. Yes, uh, pot ghosts. Um, so that. In and of itself, the premise in and of itself, like, doesn't lend itself well to having grounded comedy. Right. You know, there's, there, I doubt that there's ever going to be a how high, a version of how high with like a really, like, thick, juicy moral fiber. But it also, it must have been when was how high? I mean, it, it, we must be at the better part of uh, twenty years now since that, right? Um, at least I would say 15. how high was closer to well, yeah, at least fifteen because it was definitely after two thousand. <laughs> I feel like maybe maybe the time is right for a gritty How High reboot. I think we're maybe ready for the Casino Royale or Batman Begins of the How High universe. Oh yeah, I would only accept the High How the How High the reboot high, the High How the How High universe if it was in conjunction with the Ghostbusters universe. Uh, you get the Pot Ghosts and you get the uh, Ghostbusters and they're working together. For the greater good. Can you imagine how infuriated some of these Make America Great Again people would be if we blended the How High universe with Method Man, Red Man, their entire supporting cast with the cast, the female cast from this Ghostbusters reboot? That's what I really want. I want the lady Ghostbusters to fight all these ghosts and then instead of putting them into the electrical trap like they do, you just call in Method and Red and they just smoke the ghosts up. Take my money. How do we make this happen? Who do we call? Um, I think we just have to write it. Let's. We're, we're going to write it. We're going to write it. We're going to pitch it. We're going to be flatly rejected, and then we're going to change some names and make it ourselves. Yeah, pretty much. We're gonna we're gonna Star Wars it. You know, 
<laughs> we wanted to make the How High Ghostbusters thing, and then they were like, nope, so we're going to make our own thing. It'll be called How High Busters. <laughs> Uh, high busters, high <laughs> vacuum cleaner creation, ghost trappy people. But, but okay, hang on. But all right. So, but seriously, uh, you're talking about the concept of these big universes that are so popular now. Another thing that struck me as I was watching Friday is that they're doing what feels like intentionally or not a huge amount of world building within mm-hmm. this movie to such an extent that yes, we're only following. Craig and Smokey and who they're interacting with in this neighborhood. But just by virtue of having so many colorful characters that are crossing paths with each other and occasionally Craig and Smokey are just sitting on the porch watching these guys go about their business in ways that don't affect them directly at all. Yeah. You get the feeling that there is a there is a world in this movie. It's not just this neighborhood, but that the world expands off in every direction and that you could follow Craig and Smokey. They could walk down their street and just keep walking and you'll get to more of this world that's probably just as interesting as everything we're seeing. And I feel like a lot of movies don't, whether whether they're trying to do that or not, do not manage to pull that off. Certainly not in one. Yeah. I feel like even a lot of the big, a lot of the big franchises that we have now where there are big worlds that we're meant to be playing in, certain elements will be set up in the first movie, but it's usually not until the second installment that we really kick those doors wide open. Yeah. Um, so I thought the fact that in just one, I really did feel like, oh, yes, the frame is finite, mm-hmm. but beyond the edges of these frames, there's a whole world full of actual living, breathing people that right. exist here. That's, I think, to be commended. That's especially considering he's a first-time feature director. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. And it, which is what is a kind of a bummer about the actual sequels is that they move locations yes, and they like more lean into the, the wacky aspects as opposed to the genuine aspects. So it does become full on cartoon. Cause like I said, I've seen maybe the first, most of the first hour of Friday after yeah. next, but that was a decade ago. Easy. Yeah. Uh, I've only read about next Friday, but he does. It's like his dad wants him to get out of that neighborhood. Right. So he goes and moves in with a family member who has more money. Yeah. He goes to Rancho Cucamonga right. and uh, essentially he's adapting to a, a, being a hood dude in a, in a higher uh, status neighborhood, which is fine. Um, but there were, there are, there were and are so many other aspects that they could have explored that really like dug into the world they were creating in the first episode. And by episode, I mean movie. First installment. Yes, the first installment. Friday, episode one, The Friday Menace. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the other thing I thought was interesting is, so we introduced Mike Epps in the sequel, ostensibly to fill this hole left by Chris Tucker, who opted not to return. Yeah. And what I thought was interesting about that is I spent a few few minutes, not not you know days, but I spent I spent a little bit just doing some Google searches trying to figure out why Chris Tucker opted not to return after the first movie. Yeah. And there I'm sure there's a consensus among the people who actually made these movies. But if you ask the internet, there seems to be a number of different theories. One is it was a contract thing, maybe he wanted more money. One is well, he felt so strongly about the quality of that first Friday movie, he didn't want to diminish it. He's just like it was a, it was very much a specific moment in time. Yeah. I don't want to tarnish that by going back to that well needlessly. 
There was one theory I read, uh, and I, I have no idea if there's any truth to this, yeah. but that after making Money Talks in 97, which was his first collaboration with Brett Ratner, mm-hmm. he became a born-again Christian. I So I remember discussion about that when I was when, – when the movie was coming out and, we, and, and me and my friends were chatting about it. And yeah, we had heard that essentially – at a certain point, he decided that he didn't want to do any more, like, stonery, like, high uh, profanity movies anymore. Um, because he, yeah, he'd become religious, and that doesn't, he didn't feel like that represented him. And that's also why he kind of fell off the, the like, I guess, not face of the earth, but, like, he fell out of the industry for a while. Yeah, because... for, for a decade and change, his only credits are the Rush Hour movies. Right. And so, like, he, he disappeared because he was only getting the roles that were Smokey-like and, and to- Money Talks and Chris, uh, Chris Tuckery. That, of course, too, is the curse of ha- having a role that is such a breakout role that is so immediately indelible and iconic is that you'll get pegged as that. Right. For, for, until, you are, uh, until you are able to shake it off, but a lot of performers are never able to shake off that perception. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not sure which one of these theories is the most accurate in terms of what actually led him away from this series but see I didn't know if there was actually truth to the the born again Christian story yeah. but you heard that too so maybe right. maybe there's something there maybe it's a combination of multiple I mean it could reasons. be reasons uh, there's a chance that like as someone who was very influ- influential in the first movie like he tried to clean it up himself and like read the script and was like well could we try to have a little shift and it didn't work or something to the effect of like he wanted more money but also like it didn't align with his values and so like between the two of them values won so like there are so many a myriad of combinations that could have resulted in him not being in the movie to the other movie's detriments and we explain his absence by saying he's in rehab for pot if i'm not mistaken um i don't remember i did some very light research on the sequels and i believe that's the reason they gave uh-huh. now they'd been talking for years and years about coming back and doing another Friday movie that they're, they're going to call last Friday yeah. apparently, which it's of course like any movie with last or final in the title. It is only thus if it doesn't make a whole bunch of money. Yes. Uh, Friday the 13th famously said, this is the last one twice. <laughs> still, still wasn't. Uh, they've been talking about making Last Friday for years and years and years. Um, and for the longest time, Ice Cube would get asked about it. He would say, I, I would definitely love to go back, uh, make another one, play in that world again. Right now, it's just caught up in a lot of red tape. So they were having some development issues, whatever those would be. I'm sure it's a lot of inside baseball negotiation stuff. Yeah. But as of April, this past April, 2017, there seems to have been some forward momentum on it john witherspoon himself said yes we actually got a green light we're now going to make this last friday we'll see if it actually comes to fruition because there are plenty of projects where it looks like we've got the thumbs up from everybody that still it never happens right but it seems like everybody involved anytime anybody's asked say yeah we'd love to come back and do another one the word is that they did they being ice cube and his whatever collaborators he he's building this with yeah have written Smokey into this final movie so it's a question of a does it get made yeah b can we entice chris tucker back into this role if we actually make it yeah well uh 
what so if they did manage to make the sequel what would you want it to be about it's tough for me to answer that question having not seen the other two assume they don't exist what would I want it to be? I mean, what I would love is now, of course, we're 20 some odd years later. Yeah. I just want to catch up with these guys 20 some odd years later. I would love another movie that is it's another day in their lives. Mm-hmm. But it's it's all about who they are now. Who are they as as fully grown men with all with these 20 some odd years of history now that we can catch up on since the last time we saw them. And, yeah. and what is it like? Maybe, for all we know, Craig and or Smokey now have kids of their own. Mm-hmm. And it's about that. And it's about, you know, don't necessarily make some of the same mistakes that we did. Or, or you know, failing that, even them as parents looking at their kids going, oh, man, they're just like we were. Yeah. This is so silly. Um, yes, yeah, something, something along those lines. Something about... Uh, like a generational passing of the torch, as it were, yeah. seems like a no-brainer to me because that's a perfect way to go back to the balance that they struck in the first movie. That apparently, according to you, they they don't necessarily strike in the sequels, right. where you can do something that's goofy and silly and cartoonish and over the top, but at the same time is heartfelt. We can talk about real things and we actually feel for these characters because, as cartoonish as they can be, they are actually believable flesh and blood people Mm -hmm. yeah that's basically what i would want to see as well i really like generational stories um i love seeing someone taking the 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 i guess previous movies knowledge that they've had and being able to apply that and and you see it click or not click in the new characters heads um so i would i think i would like something very similar um or the contrary is I would like them to be immensely rich and have these like spoiled poopy kids um, and have to like show them either like take them back to the old neighborhood and show them how far that they've come something to that effect. Uh, So I would either want it to be like basically most of the same beats, but with the, the characters trying to like, usher their kids into into adulthood or i'd like to see them on the opposite spectrum where they are the the ones that are on the the higher end of the i guess money they're they're basically uh high status characters trying to get their kids to understand what it was like to that got them where they are right um so i think those would be the the main storylines i'd want yeah, I think that would be really cool to see, and I think then too, if 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 I don't, I have no idea specifically what Chris Tucker's specific qualms about returning may or may not have been. But if hypothetically part of it is, well, I don't know how I feel about portraying a character that is that is this. Yeah, then you could have. I mean, the, in in uh, canon in the universe of Friday. It has been established, I get though it happens off screen, that mm-hmm. Smokey went to rehab for marijuana. So now, maybe 20-some-odd years later, Smokey's been clean. Smokey's living a good life. He's successful. He's running a business, maybe. Like, you could do a version of that character that isn't some of the things that, that maybe, according to one version of the story, he didn't necessarily want to play anymore. Yeah. I would... Uh, and this is just a, a selfish thing, that I would love to hear all of his, like, a quintessential catchphrase is coming from a really like put together well-to-do guy where he's like we're gonna make that business happen and you know this man 
You like something like that would be really fun. And I also would love to. Yes, agreed completely. And also maybe if like Smokey has a kid, or even if it's not Smokey's kid, maybe Craig has a kid, and Craig's kid has a buddy that is basically like Smokey the Next Generation. Yeah, I would love to see that character in a room with Smokey as a grown person, mm-hmm. having matured past being the the stone like energy ball all right. the time. And how now does that character react to? Oh wow, I'm sitting across from myself 20 years ago. Oh boy, <laughs> God, stop it, kid. Yeah, uh, I think that would also be really interesting as well. And two, it goes all the way back to what we were saying earlier in the show that like baked into Friday, and it's not the focus of the movie, but there are elements of a generational story, and we see that in that conversation we were talking about, where Willie talks to Craig about how. Guns aren't the answer. Use your fist. Fight like a man. But talks about losing his brother to gun violence when he was only 22 years old. Again, like, Willie is old enough in the first Friday Mm -hmm. to have lived through his generation and now to see the next generation come up and watch as they make a lot of the same mistakes or hopefully don't. It's all there. It's there in the DNA of the first movie. I think that would be actually really a great way to build on that seed that was already planted. Right, yeah, we need to have the creed of Friday movies. Yes. Uh, I'll still play by Michael B. Jordan. Uh, you know, If you could get Michael B. Jordan for that movie, why not? Like, why would you not get Michael B. Jordan for every movie that you possibly could? The only reason for Michael B. Jordan not to be in a movie is that while they were shooting that, he was shooting another movie. Yes. Um, but, okay, so the big question that I have... For you, yes. then, because this this was a movie that you recommended to me that I had never seen. Yeah. I want to know, how did you, if you remember, how did you come to this movie originally? And what is it about it for you that makes you want to share it with other people? What was it about Friday that, when you found out I hadn't seen it, made you go, oh, okay, we got to do a show and talk about this? As I had mentioned, I grew up watching Friday. Like, from the moment that the trailer came out, it looked really fun. From the moment that we, I think we went to the theater to watch the movie. Uh, My mom and my dad uh, were big Ice Cube fans. So seeing him in another movie was exciting for them. And so that, to me, was interesting. And everyone... Uh, this came out when I was in elementary school, so everyone on the bus was quoting it and watching it as well, so we would watch it together. So it was something that was kind of on loop in my household and amongst all my friends. We were quoting it all the time. So to me, it is, one, of it was a present movie, and also it felt at the time very prescient, like, because I grew up in one of those, like, one, like... I, I tell people that I grew up in Hayward and in San Francisco, but like the the up until 1996, I was living in East Menlo Park, which was kind of a ghetto. Like there were street gangs, and we were kind of latchkey kids who were always just wandering around the neighborhood, riding our bikes, getting into fights, doing all that stuff. Um, so this really resonated with us because we were Smokey and Craig minus the smoking. You know, we were the guys who were going from house to house, kind of just like trying to hit on girls and trying to like, you know, deal with the bullies and deal with people who are slightly unsavory. The guy who's the beggar, the person who um, is always around just trying to show off their stuff like we were those kids. And so for me, it was the quintessential. It's it's 
like every white kid's sandlot, that is uh, Friday for me. I, I totally get the comparison. Weirdly, I was never a Sandlot kid. Yeah. I, I always liked it, but I only ever saw Sandlot because it got put on at friends' houses. Mm-hmm. I think it was just because, like, as a kid, I was never that into sports. Right. So it was it was before I think I was old enough to go, oh, just because you're not into sports doesn't mean there's no way into this story for you. <laughs> but, I mean, I like I like Sandlot, but I was never... Like, yeah, there's some people who, like, will, will die on the Sandlot Hill. Yeah. I was never like, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I yeah. like it. I like it a vine. A, it was fine. Um, but I totally get the comparison. What I think is fascinating going back and, like I said, watching it uh, for the first time and picking up on a number of a number of things that then blew up into pieces of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just black culture, but the culture in general. Yeah. I feel like... Yes, Friday is always mentioned when we talk about like uh, best comedies of the past however many years. Like Friday gets gets its credit. But I feel like what we don't talk about is how massive the cultural penetration of this movie was mm-hmm. in a number of very different communities. That's to me that's that's rare. That's an exceptional case where yeah. and and I feel like that is an aspect of the movie that maybe it did get talked about for a number of years and I just missed it but I don't hear that when I hear you know uh especially uh, uh quote-unquote black movies from the 90s like Friday always gets a mention yeah but I feel like the emphasis is placed more on stories like a boys in the hood which like yes I understand everybody thinks uh, automatically when it's dealing with heavier subject matter that makes it quote-unquote a more important movie yeah Friday, in a way that I truly didn't realize before, is a is a bedrock of so much of what came after. Mm-hmm. Not just in terms of cinema, not just in terms of movies that were made uh, following in its footsteps, but again, just as far as the the vernacular that spun out of it. It's going. It's like going back. Weirdly, is a weird comparison. It's like going back and now, uh, like I'm checking out Seinfeld. I yeah. never watched Seinfeld. The number of bits of vernacular that were introduced into the cultural lexicon that come from that show that most people they're now so common that most people don't have any idea that they came from Seinfeld right I feel yes this is what this is what I'm saying Friday is the Seinfeld of uh, movies yeah. <laughs> that are about that I don't it's not a great one to one I mean no I get the the idea that like there are things that seep into the zeitgeist and you don't even know the origin of. But like, if you trace it back, there are there are very specific pieces of media. For example, Seinfeld, where we have like shrinkage and the and like pirate shirts and all that stuff. Um, that like people will say and not know that it came from that. In the same way that uh, Friday had a way of. Uh, seeping into everyone's vernacular and their culture whether they were a black family a, a white family a mexican family uh, from india like it had such a uh per- pervasive and specific tone that people could relate to that it, it really just blew up within uh the culture and like and that is shown in it won uh, a all deaf award for most quotable. It won a, an award or was nominated for like MTV Movie Awards and things like that. Um, so it it really had a way of resonating with all these different people, even though it's just set on this side street in in LA. Yeah, because it feels it feels real, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not like yes, it is it is very much a black story, but it's not it's not a strictly 
black story, if that makes sense. Like these, they're all people. They're all complex people. They're all relatable people. Yeah. So it is a slice of uh, it is a slice of a very specific type of life experience, but it is one that feels so relatable and accessible. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, yeah, I think it's cool. I think the the cultural penetration of Friday is something that I had maybe not fully considered in the past, and now, now my my eyes are open. <laughs> I'm glad I could open your eyes to the greatness that is Friday. The the one the one I guess maybe the the last thing that I want to comment on in that little circle, and I feel like this is maybe something that's going to come up more and more. The the cultural footprint of something like Friday is pretty big. I think it definitely helps shape certainly big sections of the lexicon in a way that now feel almost like they've always been there. Mm-hmm. But that was 1995. Like, A, film is a young medium, but also, like, the entire span of human history compared to eternity is, like, boom, like, super quick. Right. For all intents and purposes, that was a second ago. You know right. what I mean? But it it felt so fresh and so vital that it's like, how did we— how did we do without, you know what I mean? Like, seriously, like how, how, what, what even was it before it got here? But it just got here. Yeah. Um, speaking of time, we are out of it. Oh no. I know. So, uh, a new piece that I'm introducing into the show is for those, for the one who is being introduced, uh, I ask, would you recommend it? Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. No, no reservation. Like, obviously, any movie, your mileage may vary, but this feels, if if your goal as a film fan, a film viewer, as mine is, is to essentially assimilate as much of cinema as is possible, starting with the quote-unquote most culturally significant working your way down the list, mm-hmm. Friday's on that list. Friday isn't low on that list either as it turns out friday's friday's up there yeah absolutely and and it's it helps too that it's genuinely it's good Mm -hmm. i mean it's good it's not just you should check this out for uh uh, just to get a perspective on something you maybe didn't have before it's a really fun easy watch so yes absolutely heartily awesome i too will continue to recommend it um because i love this movie um, well, thank you for watching it. Thank you for experiencing this movie that I enjoy so much. Thank you for recommending it. Of course. Um, and thank you, people at home, for listening to us chat about it for a while. And we'd like to hear mo- what you thought of the movie Friday. If you're watching it with fresh eyes or if you've never seen it, make sure to hit us up on Twitter. We have a account called, it is at Missing Outcast. Uh, and because this is the Missing Out Podcast. So make sure to hit us up. Also, you can hit us up on our personal Twitters. Mine is Tari J. That's T-E-R-I-J-A-Y. I am all over social media, Twitter included, at the Lex Michael. Awesome. Uh, so make sure to keep up with us here on Missing Out Podcast uh, on all the available podcast distribution methods. Until then, we will see you later. Try not to miss out. And you know this, man!